That is time. We are still in uh, John, Gospel of John. If you want to turn your Bibles open to uh, John chapter 7. And we might actually be able to get two chapters out today, I think. So pretty excited about that. So John chapter 7. So we'll start out with uh, verses 1 through 9. We'll start getting into the verse in the scripture. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, I am not yet going up to the feast. For my time has not yet fully come. When he said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Uh, throughout the time reading John, we see that uh, there have been a lot of feasts and uh, and uh, essentially holidays, festivals that have been mentioned. Uh, we see that uh, also I had mentioned at the beginning of John, the introduction is that. John's not fully chronological. He takes some uh, accounts out of place, but you see it when you're reading through it why he did that. Uh, he's, uh, he starts at a base concept about Jesus and his deity and his works, and then he builds on top of that step by step. And if he would have done it chronologically, especially when he's talking about the, the, uh, the accounts of uh, like Nicodemus and the woman at the Samaritan well, how he's uh, the bread of life and the light, um, He's building those concepts on top of each other uh, to where we get to the point that we're going to be continue reading into about how that accumulates to his death, where they start to to uh, plan on killing him and, and enact that plan. So, anyways, he did that so there was no logical there was that logical pro- progression and no breaks of the uh, of the evidence being provided to show that Jesus is the Messiah. And so, John, like he started this verse or this chapter um, after these things. It's a pretty broad term, uh, saying that a very a various period of time had elapsed. That's a similar concept to like if you hear me say the other day. That doesn't mean yesterday. That doesn't mean the day before. It means a day that was previously happened, right? It's kind of similar uh, in how he used that. Now, uh, we see that Jesus continues to stay in Galilee, so he's at that northern part of the the country, uh, northern part of the Jewish country. And we see that the Jews um, are again mentioned. And the Jews doesn't refer to the Jews as a whole. It refers to the leader of the Jews, uh, and we'll see the, differ- the, the differences between when it says the Jews and the people or the crowd. 
we'll see that multiple times through this, throughout this reading. So something to think about and, and to notate in your mind. Now, um, we have, again, we have that understanding because Jews were throughout the whole region that he was in, right? So he was teaching all through Galilee where there were Jewish people, uh, yet uh, they specifically were not seeking to kill him. Uh, Jesus has his brothers mentioned here, uh, which is always interesting to think about, the fact that he had uh, essentially half-brothers, right? And uh, there were some people that uh, claimed that maybe these weren't Mary's children because they want to say that Mary stayed a virgin her entire life when that obviously wasn't the case. Joseph and her had children after uh, Jesus' miraculous conception. And we read a Mark's account um, in chapter 6, verse 9, which is also about the same period that we're reading in uh, when people are asking about, isn't this the, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, along with his sisters there. So we get indication that there's at least those four brothers that he had, those half-brothers, and at least two sisters, because it's plural. So it's more than one. We, it could be more than that. We don't know. They're not listed. So at least he had six siblings. And that account is also recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. <clears throat> but we see at this point, Jesus' brothers, his siblings, didn't believe in him. At least it says his brothers. We don't know about the sisters. Um, they didn't have that uh, belief in what he was claiming, which is strange because they grew up with them. They're seeing this works. Uh, so it's very interesting. Now, they're saying, hey, you know, if this, is, if this is something that you're claiming, you should go down and show everyone, not just the people around here, uh, go down and, and uh, do the miraculous works in front of huge groups of people outside of that, outside Jerusalem uh, or in Jerusalem. And remember that Jerusalem was that religious, cultural hub. Um, and so they're saying, go to that cultural hub and do this, not just the outskirts of the country. Again, they didn't also fully understand um, his purpose, uh, his power, even though, again, they were able to see some of it. But you see, after his crucifixion and his resurrection, that some of them did believe and were faithful followers. And In fact, James wrote James, the book of James. Uh, let's see here. Jesus, of course, at this time, being aware of God's plan, being... Uh, not only God's plan, but his timeline for events to occur. Along with the intent of the, the Jewish leaders, the Jews, uh, he waited. He was waiting for the feast to begin. That way, instead of coming in at the beginning of it when everybody is flocking uh, to Jerusalem, that he can kind of just slide in there um, and mingle easily among the others and then continue teaching. So we see that Every time we, we re- see Jesus do something, there's a purpose to it. Uh, even if it's just minor stuff. We've seen that through every account, every interaction. <clears throat> that leads us to chapter 10, verse 24. Uh, chapter, uh, sorry, <laughs> verse 10 through 24. So, well, when his brothers had gone up, 
Then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, He is good. Why, others said, On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of, of him for fear of the Jews. Now, in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I, or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Again, that purpose for Jesus, uh, that timeline, he leaves Galilee. And this is the last recorded time that we see uh, him leave that area before his crucifixion. We see Jesus came in quietly, and uh, initially he came in quietly, uh, but was not hiding. Uh, And it was possibly a a fulfillment of a prophecy uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. But Jesus taught and surprised him with his knowledge, which is not surprising to us. Um, But in verse 17, we see that Jesus relates the desire to be obedient or submissive to God with knowing God's will and being able to understand what Jesus is trying to teach them. The right motivation is needed to do so. So we need to seek uh, like we always do, we just need to seek the glory of God and not our own when trying to, to when we have that desire to learn about God, <clears throat> we need to make sure to seek God and, and leave ourselves out of it. The accusation against the Jewish leaders, uh, which he does pretty often, sometimes pre- seems pretty harsh uh, when he addresses them, but uh, you know there's a there's a reason for that. Um, you know, when he talks about their hypocrisy and, and their heart, first of all, he knows their heart, right? He has that ability to discern uh, them. But when you also look at the records on how corrupt the leadership was at that time, uh, you can see the reason why he's doing such a thing. And, of course, that corruption is against the law, right? And that's what he's talking, that's what he's addressing to. Uh, their corruptness uh, affected their judgments against their fellow Jews, uh, which resulted in injustice, which, again, the law specifically spoke about, was not having that imbalance of justice. They showed partiality. Uh, they used the law of Moses to their benefit, uh, while, um, like we're seeing with Jesus, right? They're using that law 
to kill Jesus, uh, using that to convict him when there's no evidence or support for it. Again, all of that goes against the law that they are under, and not only that, but that deeper meaning and that deeper purpose of the law. And now we're starting to see through this section the difference between uh, the people and the crowd and the Jews. Jesus gives them a basic question, like uh, saying, or asking why they were seeking to kill him. And we see the people answer here. The people that are listening are confused, because they're not the ones that are seeking to kill him. Um, Thinking that he might be paranoid or have some other mental health issue, asking him that question. So he reminded them of their miraculous deed that had caused the problems, the healing of the man on the Sabbath. And that starts to jog their memory a little bit. Like, wait a minute. And that's what we'll see here in the next verses, is that jogging and their reaction. Verse 25 through 36. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come from myself, come of myself, but have, uh, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand upon him, because his hour not had yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? So again, some of those in Jerusalem, some of the people that were in Jerusalem or from that area were reminded that he was the man that the Jews were seeking to kill. They remembered him and where he was from. So in their minds, he couldn't be the Messiah. And they quote uh, the fact that uh, nobody knows where the Messiah was coming from. But that, I don't know where they get that from because there's, I don't think there's any indication of that. They might have been mentioning that uh, prophecy of Malachi that uh, mentioned earlier, chapter 3, verse 1. But uh, it doesn't seem that's very, not very consistent with where he's coming from. Uh So he addressed that, and was, apparently it was pretty sarcastic um, since he was saying they knew him, supposedly they knew him and where he was from, uh, when they, they, they didn't know, obviously. Um, they knew basics about him, but they didn't know that he was actually born in Bethlehem. Right? They didn't know his history about that. But if they did know, 
where he was from and and uh, and who he was from, they would know he was from God, right? It's pretty. If they were to dive into the information and, and search, they would know that he was in fact fulfilling those those prophecies. He followed up saying that if they knew God, they would know where he was from. So if they were familiar with the scriptures and familiar with uh, uh, the prophecies about the Messiah, they would know where he was from. And that was enough for them, that, that uh, group there, to be angry enough to kill him. He was insulting their pride, and they took it personally. And then they, uh, they were able to try to get the leaders to arrest him. Right, so that essentially an arrest warrant was set up for him, but they were not able to arrest him. It was still not Jesus' time, like he said. And here we have about six more months until the time of his crucifixion. So I mean, he still has a, a good amount of time. I mean, obviously, we, if we had six months left, we wouldn't think that was a long amount of time. But he still has a lot more work to do during that period. Verse thirty-seven through thirty-nine. On the last day. That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit had not yet given, was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here we see it's the last day of the, the feast. Uh, the Feast of Booths, or Feast of Festivals, uh, was about seven days in length. And he came in the middle of it, so he had been doing this for a couple days already. He showed up, was preaching for a couple days. There was an arrest warrant out on him, and he was, he was in public. He would, uh, once he would speak, if there was confrontation, he would essentially walk away. Um, but he would come back. And yet we see him not arrested still, which is interesting. And we'll see uh, some more of that, uh, the reasoning for that here soon. Uh, so this is at the end of that feast. So this is at, at the end of the week when he's talking here. And we see that the waters he had been speaking about from the beginning, the Samaritan woman that he was speaking about was the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost here being alluded to, when the Spirit would be uh, opened, the ability to obtain it would be opened to all the Jews who believe, and after the house of Cornelius, when it was opened to the non-Jews. So he was alluding to those things, which was spoken about in the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, which Peter explained in Acts chapter 2, which was on the day of Pentecost. And that leads us to verse uh, 40 through 52. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands upon him. When the officers, uh, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officer said, No one has ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, 
Are you deceived? How have many of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, whom uh, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered him and said, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And again, so like we were talking about, his teaching continued uh, to lead those who are listening to the understanding that he had knowledge beyond, um, beyond man's, beyond what was normal for man to have. But... Uh, that he was, they were curious about, or they were questioning about his fulfillment of prophecies, about where the Christ would come from. Again, their, their knowledge of him was lacking, though they thought they knew him, though they thought they knew his history. And what they thought they knew was about him coming from Galilee was used as an insult, right? Um, the Galileans obviously were not thought of uh, very highly from the people in Jerusalem. Uh, I guess we have similar insults for people, you know, uh, that are on the outskirts of different areas, uh, you know, backwoods, or I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of someone. I can't think of any for some reason right now, but there's uh, often people uh, insult others for, for living, again, away from the main part of the communities. Um, and it's similar there, too. Small fishing communities is where he was from. Uh, not a lot of people with uh, education were taught there. Were lear- there was not a lot of learning there. So easy to uh, to look down upon them. And so they used, uh, they said that no prophet has risen out of Galilee. And this is coming from the, the Pharisees who really should know better. And that statement shows their lack of knowledge in two ways. Um, it shows that they didn't know Jesus very well, and they, although they assumed that they did, but also that there were prophets that came from the, Gal- the region of Galilee. Uh, there was Jonah, probably one of the most uh, famous prophets, because he has, his, I mean, he has his own book. Um, and then also Nahum, which again also has his own book that's from that region. And Elijah could even be considered from the part of Galilee, although it's on the east side of the Jordan River. So, uh, I mean, that's. That, that had been known as a part of Galilee through different times. So, again, they are showing that their, their passion against the Christ, their, their passion, their, their envy, their pride, is blinding them to what they should have known and should have been able to uh, uh, recall. And the temple guard, uh, they were given a job to arrest Jesus. All right? The fact that they did not fulfill that request or that 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 command from the from the leaders uh, that's impressive that that didn't get that didn't happen again when such a job like that is given to um, these these men are essentially soldiers or uh, um, uh, guardians of the temple so they they know how to fight they they know how to do their job. Uh, when it's given a command like that, there's not supposed to be any question about that. They're supposed to do it, uh, no matter what. 
but upon hearing Jesus have been have been upon stopping and and hearing him and seeing the crowd, which it says that they were scared of also, uh, they were conflicted, uh, possibly because of the truth that he was speaking, but definitely from the knowledge and the, the understanding that uh, this is some this is not just some average person who is the, in their midst and talking to them. Uh, so for them to stop in their tracks and not fulfill that that command to arrest him uh, is pretty impressive and something that sometimes we kind of just breeze over. Usually when a soldier is told to do something, um, if they don't, there's a possibility that people might die in the field, right? So that's why the Marines have their their uh, motto, you know, ours is but to do or die. Uh, if they don't do something, if they don't follow an order, people die potentially. So uh, I don't know if the, the temple guard was that, uh, that well-trained and that well-tested, um, you know, uh, but that's still, uh, especially during this time, that's still something that uh, should have been easily carried out. That's a command that should have easily been carried out, but we see that it wasn't. The Pharisees here also show their true colors about what they thought of the people that they were leading, right? Um, they were supposed to be, you know, a leader supposed to be caring for their people and understanding, but uh, we see them look upon them disdainfully. We see that uh, this crowd in verse uh, 40, 49, this crowd does not know the law uh, and is accursed. That's damned, right? They're saying these people are all damned, and that's their people. <clears throat> that's a dangerous, obviously, that is the extreme dangerous way uh, to think of uh, uh, as a leader's point of view upon the people that you are and trusted to lead. Um, and that's the extreme. But it, it happens easily when you start separating yourself as a leader from the people that you are with. Uh, we see that time and time again all throughout history, right? Whenever the leaders become an elite and the people just become common or less than common, uh, there's that discrepancy. And that's when we see so many issues come up, uh, revolutions and uh, and riots and violence. Uh, it's important to uh, be cognizant about that as a leader and to uh, make sure that there's not, not that separation between yourself and making sure that separation, uh, make sure you don't separate yourself and continue to do so just through natural um, tendencies. And so, again, we see the guardians of the law <clears throat> The, uh, the leaders, the guardians of the law, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, violating um, that law themselves, again, uh, which Nicodemus identified. He's like, why are, this isn't, our, this isn't how we do things. This isn't how it's supposed to be done. And so they turned to insult him instead of taking that time to, to stop and think about what they're doing. And that leads us to chapter 8. We'll read verse 1 through 11. And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. 
Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? And they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus, he stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out, one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus had raised himself up. He saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are the acu- the, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, ah, I'm going to stop there, sorry. That's going to go into our next section. Uh, what's interesting about uh, this, this account here is that it wasn't in the original manuscripts uh, that, were, that, we've, that we've seen. And it's not entirely sure when it came in here, but it was added very early on in the church. And there were about, uh, we see that about 900 manuscripts actually have this account in it. Uh, so it has been regarded as inspired. Um, it has also uh, been mentioned a couple times about how minor things come up in, in the, the Bible that uh, come up in the Word that maybe were added or that uh, there needs some clarification on because it, so many copies were made right of the of the of the scriptures of the letters and just for your um just for encouragement about the word uh, what's great what was so great about the recovering of the dead sea scrolls was that we can see those original writings and confirm that what we're reading is accurate uh and those copies are accurate again this wasn't initially in them but there were so many other copies that were made after that with this in it that um, we can have some, some confidence in it. So when we uh, get into the story, they, again, were so blinded, the scribes and the Pharisees, by their hatred toward him that, and, and so motivated to try to entrap him that they weren't following procedure on such a matter as this. Um, he was sitting down to teach people in the temple. This accusation, this, this, uh, um, what they were doing to this girl, this lady, was not a place for that. The courts were a place for that to occur. Not out in the open, in a public setting, especially at, a, like I said, a time when he's just sitting down to teach. Uh, and they said that she was caught in the act. But for such an act to occur, it would take two people, right? And according to the law, both were to be brought out. And both were to be uh, gone through the, the system of of uh, confirming that that happened and then judgment to take place. Um, but they only had one half of that. The reasoning for that, um, we don't know. But... 
uh, it, we're kind of gleaming some insight into how they're doing this and why they're doing this. Not only that, but um, it was witnessed in the act. Where were the witnesses? Who were the witnesses? Where's their testimony? Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't have that, and that is needed according to the law that they are under. Those things were needed, and they were overlooking that. Uh, they were not following the procedure at all for that. Uh, and it's very uh, obviously that takes. There's a lot. There's a lot there in the law uh, for that for that to happen. That takes a lot of. Uh, um, let's just put it away. It's, it's hard to convict somebody of such an act because most of the time uh, it, it's hard to get all those things, right? <clears throat> they were so intent on his blood being, uh, on her blood, excuse me, being on him so they can blame him for it no matter what, even if she was guilty or not. Um, an expectation also of the law was if they were to see someone about to sin would be to warn them. Uh, that was one of the moral obligations in the law that was a part of that. But the authorities here seem to have made a deliberate trap which is opposite of that moral obligation to give him a warning about. So they either knew about the incident about to occur and or the man was involved in the trap um, or they were just bringing false accusations before him. So there's a lot there's a lot of issues with this situation that come up. If the trap was successful and he said to stone her um again her, her that blood would have been on him right but if he said not to stone her uh he could have been accused of not following the law of Moses so it's a very intricate trap uh but obviously a lot of loopholes were in it because again they weren't following procedure Not only that, but uh, if Jesus did say to stone her, um, his teachings on mercy and grace would uh, would have led him to not only having that blood on her on him, her blood on him, but uh, his teachings on mercy and grace. He would lose credibility with those people that were listening to him. Of course, it's Jesus. His answer is perfect, right? Uh, he didn't have to even call them out in the fact that they weren't doing this according to procedure and the fact that they were trying to trap him. His call for self-reflection on the people there, um, again, was perfect. And that's what, uh, that's what we are to do, right, with each other. Uh, we are to self we are to reflect upon ourselves and uh, that's what we, when we read God's word, we use that to compare it to ourselves. We're supposed to use that for self-reflection. We're supposed to see where we are found lacking compared to the word. And we're supposed to focus on bettering ourselves. Uh, 
We're also supposed to use it to educate others, right? To to help them stop stop themselves, like notify them, hey, what what that do that action? It's our moral obligation to stop them from sinning. That action is gonna that's, that's a sin. That's gonna lead you down a bad road, <clears throat> a road to destruction. We. Uh, We're not supposed to, or we're not called to even at all, measure ourselves against each other. We're supposed to be using the word for that. We're not supposed to look down or up even to each other. Uh, we use the word and we measure ourselves against it. We are called, though, to help protect each other, like we talked about. Especially others of the flock against that internal sin. Against false teachers and divisiveness. And First Timothy again is a, or Timothy is a perfect uh, list of what the Scripture does for us. And here we see Jesus was left alone after this. The wording here and the imagery being used is he was abandoned with the woman. Everybody left him. And again, all that was after reflecting upon their own sin. So Jesus addressed her. Uh, with woman, which we talked about before, was a term of respect. Right? That it was the same uh, way he had addressed his mother uh, when he started his ministry in Cana. He didn't question the charge that was against her at that time. Kind of leading us to believe that it might have had some grounds to it. Not really sure, but he didn't. Qu- so he didn't question her against the charge, but he told her to go and sin no more. Legally, he did not condemn the woman, but left her with that warning. It kind of calls us to remember his purpose on the earth during that time. Not to condemn, but to seek and save the lost was his, was his goal. We don't see um, that she was sorrowful. You know, we were only told three words that she said. Um, but... Uh, we're not told that she was sorrowful or asking for mercy or forgiveness. So none was mentioned by Jesus either, uh, but calling for her conduct to be righteous from there on. It would be interesting to, uh, to follow people like that throughout the Bible and, and see if they were, were thankful for that situation and, and followed God. Um, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't taught us that. We're not told that. So that's something else that we'll have to. One of our many questions that we'll have for God: What happened to the What happened to the woman? You know, was she faithful after that, or did she continue on? So, anyways, when we see Jesus, when it comes to the law, people sometimes uh, have the wrong impression about Jesus, and that's that. Uh, well, the right impression that we should have is that Jesus always respected the law, right? He uh, he was one of the authors of it with his father. Um, what he didn't respect was man's tradition, that they made law, right? And the, and the things that they put on the law that, he, what he didn't add into that. That's That wasn't the intent of it. So, again, that's something that... Uh, um, he came to fulfill that law. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to do away with it. 
as in disregarded. He came, he lived under it, fulfilled it, and then enacted what we're under now. Now these are to verse 12 through uh, 12 through 20. And we'll try to, we're going to go through this since we only have five minutes. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but had the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. But I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you had known that my father also. These words Jesus spoke at the treasury, in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour not yet had come. Uh, so the light is associated with the Messiah, which was from the beginning of this of this book, right? God and Jesus are both referred to as the light often uh, throughout the Bible. This light, the light of life, can only be received by continuing to follow him. It's a continuing action. And here, such a statement, the Jews demanded uh, evidence, witness to his statements, uh, confirmation that that is true. According to the law, a person cannot provide testimony about themselves. Right? There needed to be a collaborating statement from somebody else. They had not understood that God had been witnessing Jesus throughout his uh, throughout his uh, ministry, throughout the uh, with the the miraculous works that was being done, and again all the prophecies that were made that he was fulfilling. The testimony between the two were in perfect agreement. Even then, he alone was trustworthy enough to be able to witness, to be able to bear witness of himself. We know the Gospel of John went through many witnesses in the beginning of it, but in the end, the testimony of God was all that was really needed. Again, we see him continuing to teach and that arrest order still not being carried out. Uh, verse 21 through 59, and that'll end us off with chapter 8. Then the Jews said to him, I am going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself because he says, Where you go, I cannot come? And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just as I have been saying to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as the Father taught me, I speak these things, 
and when he, and he who sent me is is with me the father has not left me alone for i have always do things that please him as he spoke these words many believed in him then jesus said to those who believed if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free and they answered him we are abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin uh, is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's the end. Um, We will come back to this uh, and talk about that next class. I was hoping to get it all out, uh, knocked out, but I think I'll have to come back to it. Thank you all.